everyone. Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. Brian is fresh off a Hawaii vacation. I am fresh off a vacation from work, which meant I just had to do a different sort of work in moving. And I don't know. I think I think we're we're still good at this, right? I hope so. Were we good before? I actually forgot if we were good at this. It's been so long and when I just take like this small, small break from doing the cast, it feels like a million years have gone by and so many things have happened, as is often the case in the magic world. Also, the broader world, it's just been a really insane two weeks. It's been something. Uh, I So I started this podcast. I am the only founding member that remains. And Correct. since you joined, our numbers have gone up significantly. So therefore, you are good at this, but the numbers don't necessarily tell me anything. That's true. We know I'm great. That is confirmed. Jury's still out on Jerry. Yeah, as of yet, undecided. So <laughs> first, real world stuff, coronavirus, competitive magic, all that, all that good, fun stuff. I feel like it is necessary to talk about because I know that it is affecting uh, how a lot of players want to interact with the game and or at least like they're wondering about how they should interact with it and certainly like a lot of TOs and other convention runners are taking this into consideration a lot of events are getting canceled and stuff like that so I thought that we should talk about it I think that's a good idea and it's something I definitely want to talk about but before we do I just whenever I talk about issues where I know I'm out of my depth and I'm just sharing my opinion, and I have no expertise. I want to be really clear about that fact. I'm not the source for information on the coronavirus. You should certainly listen to more informed sources than myself. I'm just stating my opinion, how I feel, how I see things proceeding. Uh, I don't want to pass myself off as any kind of expert, though, and I don't want people to rely on me. I just want to share what I'm thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. The the same is true for me in this case, which is kind of why I didn't actually say anything concrete and just kind of kicked it off to you. Well, thanks. <laughs> <'Cause I was laughs> thanks for putting that all on me. <laughs> yeah, I am not an expert. I am relatively young, relatively good shape, pretty healthy. I very rarely get sick. Like as of right now, I'm kind of a homebody and don't interact with a, a whole lot of real life humans. So I'm not at super huge risk of this thing. And Therefore, I haven't done a ton of research on it or anything, but I basically feel that it is serious and it should be taken seriously, but I don't think it is anything that people necessarily should panic over, which, I don't know, sounds kind of silly, I suppose, given the gravity of it, but, you know, there's there's ways to play around it to some degree, right? And... I think that as long as you are making like a good faith effort to do what you should be doing, you know, wash your hands, et cetera, then there's there's probably not a whole lot of reason for like any one individual to panic, right? It depends. I mean, mean, it's going to go on a case by case basis. And I also think I'm going to try and pull out an explanation from you a little bit further, because I I do think it's important for you to be clear about the language you're using. I think when you're saying panic, you're trying to shape moods more than responses. Like, I don't think you're telling people to go about their lives. Yes. 
in a normal fashion. I think you are conceding that things have to change and you have to make exceptions from your normal behaviors because doing so is protecting the global population. It's not about just protecting yourself. And like you said, I'm also in a position where like, I'm pretty healthy. I don't really fear the coronavirus, but also I think I have this level of responsibility as just a global citizen to make sure I am altering my behavior in ways that keep the broader population safe and do whatever I can to minimize the possibility of just wide scale infection of the entire population. Yeah. So uh, two things. First, you are absolutely right. Words mean things. I, when I say panic, I do talk about actions. People are going to feel about this, however they feel about that. And I think it is like your, your feelings are always valid. You know, like if, if you are worried about this, like that is a completely reasonable and normal feeling to have. Trust me. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try and police that because there, there's no reason to, no one should do that. But as far as like, I don't know, sitting like building a, a bunker or whatever and preparing for the world to end or whatever, some outrageous response to this, uh, I don't think is necessarily warranted. That's all. Yeah. I've, I've been really conflicted about the way I've seen people respond because things like hoarding and, you know, general panic behaviors can actually just make the situation more dangerous for people, right. especially vulnerable people. There are people who like need masks and they need hand sanitizer and, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of need for those items across the population. But if you're hoarding it, then it can't be shared amongst the really vulnerable populations. So those type of responses frighten me. But at the same time, I think that it's certainly better that people take this more seriously than less seriously and not for their own self-interest, but for the broader self-interest. So even if people are a little misinformed and like panicking to a higher extent, I would prefer that because that's keeping more people safe overall, I think, than just trying to pass this off as no big deal because it is a big deal. And, uh, you know, I shared my experience with you. I was in Hawaii when the outbreak really took hold in my hometown. Seattle is certainly one of the hotspots in the US right now. And so my only input are news stories and things like that. And I had no idea what I would be coming back to, like being out of the country and getting only second and third hand information. It was really frightening. And you know, I didn't know if I'd be able to get food when I got back home. And to complicate things, my father was house sitting for me. My dad is near 70, has COPD, basically the most vulnerable person you can think of when it comes to this thing. So it was a really uncertain and scary time. And then I ended up back in town and things felt more settled once I got here and maybe not as dire and apocalyptic as my perception was at the time. But still, there was no question as soon as I got back, I had to change my behaviors, particularly because of my father's presence. I wanted to make sure not to expose him he just left yesterday, was healthy when he left. I, I mean, we did everything we could to minimize outside exposure and keep the house super clean and all the hand washing and things like that. So, so far, so good, but definitely a tense situation. Yeah. I mean, your idea of what things were going to be like when you got back home was just how you read into things like based on the media, right? Or like how the media portrayed it to you. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it's it's hard to say whether my nervousness or 
the actual presentation of the information was what really shaped how I was anticipating the situation to be. So I, I don't know if like it's fair to cast blame at the media for painting a picture that was really frightening or if it was worth being something really frightened about or if I just amplified things to a degree. But like I said, I, I didn't know if food would be available. I didn't know if grocery stores would be open. So I shipped food to my house. It, it just wasn't clear what was going to go on. And I, I think that's the big takeaway as we transition back to talking about how this is affecting magic, nothing's clear right now. Nobody knows how to react to this. And I think we're seeing that from TOs as they kind of flirt back and forth with the idea of canceling things. I mean, as we speak right now, magic tournaments are a go for the most part. Uh, SCG events happening, Channel Fireball events happening. And I understand the difficulty in making those decisions because of the far-reaching economic impacts to people in the company, people outside the company. But man, it's just such a hard time to act with any kind of clarity because nobody knows how scary this thing really is. Right. And earlier I said I had two things. The second thing is like, since I am like young and healthy and very rarely get sick, like it is very possible that I could be sick and not really be presenting symptoms and just not know it. So like that is another thing that makes me wary of even like going to an event, not because like I'm scared of myself getting sick because I feel like I'll be fine, but it's like, what if I am sick and I don't know it, you know, it's just like, that would just be really irresponsible on my part. And I'm not exactly going to like go to the doctor's office every day and like try and get checked out for it because it's like, you know, there's probably someone in line behind me who needs that more than I do. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation to be in for sure. So I guess that brings us to where we stand right now. Obviously, I have a job that mostly requires me to fly to convention centers. As of now, I'm planning on doing that job when I'm called upon. I want to say that I was given a choice. I, I, SCG was very supportive of me being able to opt out, which I certainly appreciated. That's very cool. Yeah. But I mean, I do this for a living and I don't have like a a backup safety net. I mean, that's certainly a feature of our present economy. I, I need to make money. And I don't know. I, I honestly feel very torn, very conflicted, very guilty about it. When it comes to just participating in an event, I will tell you, frankly, I wouldn't be attending an event right now that I was just participating in. And when it comes to something like Hunter Burton, I am so torn because it's something I care about so much. And I I know the if if the Hunter Burton Memorial Open happens, it's certainly not out of greed. It's literally the most altruistic magic event on the planet. It's right. something they love and they want to do because it helps so many people. But I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what I would do right now. And I felt obligated to share that with listeners because I have said many, many times I'm appearing, I'm going there, and I know like I don't want to, this feels like tooting my horn and feels weird to say, but I know like that's part of the appeal to some people. They want to get a chance to talk to us and meet us. And I want to put forth, there is a possibility I will not go to that event. Yeah. And I I agree with you as far as like the Hunter Burton, like it's definitely not an event that they're just like, well, we have to put this on so that we can make money or whatever. Like if, if it does get canceled or moved back, I would not be super surprised. Uh, as for the other events, it kind of does seem like the show must go on. And it's also pretty awkward because I'm sure the attendance is going to take a hit because of that. And like, that's not good for their financials either. So it's just overall a pretty bad situation for everyone to be in. 
And I I have to interrupt you, Jerry. This is literally just the second. Breaking news. I just went to StarCityGames.com. They have canceled SCG Baltimore and Syracuse. There's an announcement on the website. Yeah, both are canceled. I'm reading this as we speak. So sorry that I'm kind of a little distracted. Uh, Oh. Full full refunds and apology. And uh, I will... I will be the first to say this is the correct decision. And I'm, I was supposed to work these shows like this is money out of my pocket, but I am proud of SCG for taking the stance. It's certainly costing them money. Uh, and I'm sure people will be upset who have planned and booked hotels and it's tough and I get it, but this feels like the correct call to me to keep people safe. Yeah, the, the news story goes earlier today, the World Health Organization officially declared the coronavirus outbreak to be a pandemic, and the D.C. Health Department recommended that non-essential mass gatherings, including conferences and conventions, be postponed or canceled through March 31st. So this is not even just like Star City necessarily taking this stance. This is the World Health Organization, right? So, Well, it, so- it sounds like that decree is D.C. Health Department saying non-essential Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, World Health Organization definitely upped the ante today. Yep. Okay. Word. All right. Well, I I guess (laughs) that that kind (laughs) of that that solves a lot of discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Uh, Regardless, if if you are going to these events, I mean, people on Twitter were talking about the handshake thing, and I, I think it is fine to refuse a handshake. Like you know, not like oh, I got bad beated and screw you, I'm not going to shake your hand, but just like instead of shaking hands, I would rather like fist bump or shoulder or elbow bump, whatever. You know, like that that is completely fine to me, and especially in this case, like y'all y'all can just do that, and I encourage it. Yeah, I've been trying to transition to fist bumps for a few years. I still I still catch handshakes once in a while, but I always try and push the fist bump instead. Just a way of you know, I meet a bunch of people, I travel a bunch, I'm trying to be more conscientious about these things because situations like this uh, are really scary and put a lot of people's lives at risk. And yeah. And again, it's, it's not just about you right. helping yourself, right? It's like you could be sick yourself and pass that on to someone else. So yeah, just don't. Yeah. But this is a, a really good move from SCG. I'm really happy to see this. I felt a little conflicted. Like I said, I have to go to work. I didn't really want to though. And I, I think with this, decision being made, this might be the nail in the coffin as far as any other travel for me, at least through the month of March, unless things take a different direction, which is possible. You know, we we don't know how this is going to break, but I do encourage everyone listening to take all the preventive steps and just just be smart. Don't think about yourselves. Think about what your presence at an event is doing to the possible chance of spreading an infection to other more vulnerable people. And I think that really has to inform all of your decisions. Yeah. And again, we are not the authority. If you want to know more, feel free to utilize Google. That place is great. You should probably use it more. I don't know. Go go down the rabbit hole, you know, read some articles, figure out what's what's actually going on, what you can do to stay safe yourself and keep others safe. Yeah. And final final point I really want to make. People who face economic hardship due to this and are making tough choices, I really do get it. And I think there's kind of this unfair, very classist thing that's happening where it's like, we'll just stay home. It's really easy for some people and it's really hard for others. I made my living for years working in bars and restaurants and all of those people are taking huge financial hits right now and are choosing to still go to work every day because there is no backup system and they just have to work to be able to pay their bills and feed themselves. 
I know, you know, my brother is working at a restaurant that is down the block from a place that was supposed to host the Sweet 16, I think, of the NCAA tournament. And they're just playing that without a crowd now. So it probably cost him thousands of dollars, literally, not having that crowd in town for the weekend. So it, well, it's tough. I, I, I had a conversation today where uh, something popped up on Twitter where it was like uh, students protesting over their school being shut down or whatever. Hmm. And it was just like, you know, why, why is this a big deal? And it's like, well, what if you don't have anywhere else to go? Right. Right. I had, I mean, there was points in my life where I was just like living on a campus and couldn't really go anywhere else. And that's a common thing. And again, it feels a little classist, our response to it. Like we want to do all these things. They are the correct things to do, but I just encourage people to practice some empathy and think about other people's situations. Yeah. And there's, there's more to the school thing too, where it's like, you know, what if you're depending on your school's meal program, right? Like you had worked that into your budget. What if you don't have money for a plane ticket home? What if your, the situation with your family is not good. And like that is contributing to you not having a place to stay or whatever. What if they're like, well, you just have to take your classes online. And it's like, well, the place that I'm going to go to doesn't have an internet connection. I don't have a laptop. I don't have the books. I go to the library and rent the books or whatever, you know, like there's right. so much stuff where it's like, yeah, that like these, these kids have a reason to protest. Like this is like potentially going to very badly screw a lot of people over. And I, obviously it's, it's, it's like, tough though. There's no not, good answer. Like how do you keep them no, safe I know, in that, this scenario? That's, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it's not really anyone's fault necessarily. I think the, the school probably could have done more to like anticipate those sorts of right. needs. But uh, aside from that, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just bad. You know, there's there, like you said, there's not really a good solution. And in, in situations where there's no good answer, I just encourage everyone to practice empathy and try and think of both sides of the situation and, you know, understand why this was a hard decision for Star City. They ultimately came out what I feel is the right side of things and canceled these events. But a lot of people are going to miss money in their pocket that they had anticipated having. And, you know, it certainly does some damage to the narratives around the SCG tour. Certainly that's the lowest of concerns, but these are all real things that they had to weigh. Uh, like I said, I'm proud of them for coming on the right side of things, though. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. On to another sort of grim topic. We can talk about the BNR <laughs> announcement. Slightly less grim, but yeah. Uh, De- weird stuff defi- for sure. Definitely less grim, but maybe not super happy overall. I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess we're, we're sort of used to this at this point, and this one is bittersweet. Uh, this announcement date was March 9th. Brawl, Golos' band, Historic, Oko, Once Upon a Time, Veil of Summer are moved from suspended to banned. No one even knows what that means. Field of the Dead is moved from suspended to legal. That's cool. Legacy, Underworld Breach is banned. Cool. Modern, Once Upon a Time is banned. Not surprised. Nobody could have anticipated this happening, Gerald. When you saw Once Upon a Time when it was printed, how could you ever imagine that this was a card that would eventually have to be banned. So innocuous. Free spells consistently one of the fairest ways to play magic. So surprised this ultimately met this fate. Nah. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you sense my dripping sarcasm? Uh, so, so the Golos ban in Brawl is going to ruin our Brawl for All series. This is what puts the nail in the coffin. I guess we have to cancel it now. We have no choice. Yeah. Historic. Yeah, who knows? Legacy breach is one of the things that they were just like, well... We're probably going to have to do this at some point anyway, so might as well do it now, which 
I think is a fine move if they're anticipating people like potentially buying into this sort of thing or Mm -hmm. there being a big legacy event two months from now and then them having to do the shakeup before the event or whatever. And then as for modern, I'm kind of curious about, I don't know, what, what prompted Once Upon a Time to be banned and I don't know, not not anything else, or like why now, and also the complete and utter lack of pioneer changes. Yeah, so I'll I'll go step by step, I guess. Underworld Breach, I don't care. I mean, I, I think it's fine to ban this card. I also think it's fine to print this card and have to ban it because legacy is such a low priority right now that if you think Underworld Breach can add something to other formats, I don't hate the decision to print a card that is just clearly degenerate in legacy sure but who who is that card for man i do think there is a class of players who wants to have reasonable combo options i think underworld breach provided that in pioneer specifically i thought the presence of the lotus breach deck and by the way that deck might just be good again hold on we'll talk more about that later i thought that was a net positive for the format i don't hate there being weird combo decks that are very linear and easy to hate out if the appropriate considerations are given. So it's fine. Like having that occasionally be part of the game at a strong but easily tempered power level seems like a net positive to me. That That's who I think that card was for. I would agree with you if there were already things in place that would give you game one play against it. But right now it's just like you're a lot of the time you're hinging on your sideboard cards and that doesn't feel like very fun gameplay to me. I understand. I I don't think it's supposed to be fun for you in game one. It's supposed to be fun for the player doing it. And you can make the argument that who cares what they think they are such a small subsection and you should think more about the health of the game overall, but I would argue where you can enable multiple styles of experiences at a pretty low cost, you should do so. And I think the cost Underworld Breach has imposed upon the Pioneer format, fine. I I think it has actually helped some of the churn that has happened with the immersion of the inverter decks. Like if it wasn't for Underworld Breach, maybe things wouldn't have changed as quickly as they did and other decks wouldn't have had a chance to work their way back up to the top. Yeah, I so I agree with all that. I just think that the point that I'm arguing and like the thing that you're talking about with it combo being healthy for the format, it creating churn and all that stuff, I think those are separate points. Okay. Well, that's a fair way of looking at it. I'll move on to modern then. Once upon a time well, is clearly... Go ahead. Uh, do you, you want to talk about why you don't want to ban anything in Inverter? Yes, I was seeing that as the last step, though. I was I was working down legacy, modern, pioneer, but we can we can talk about that since we're already on the pioneer topic. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I thought that made more sense, but okay, all right, sure. Uh, why I don't want to ban anything in inverter? I wouldn't say my position goes that far. Like I I would have been fine had something been banned in inverter. I think the reasons for not banning something in inverter are interesting. We talked a lot about data over the past few weeks here on the podcast and what it yeah. does to a format and how you can use it. This announcement of no bands was accompanied by some pretty select pieces of data and some pretty large sample size pieces of data, which the average players do not have access to. Like this is this is the holy grail of data, actually. Yeah, which is what I was saying that they could utilize their data for, and they did it, and I think it's great. And they did. Okay, so... so- 49% non-mirror match win rate 
unfavorable matchups against five of the other 10 most played decks. Those are inverter stats that they shared. I believe that. I also believe there is a huge skill disparity when it comes to inverter. Yep. I think it can remain the best choice despite these things. And I think if you brought it down a peg, probably by banning Dig Through Time, which I don't think can last in the format long-term anyway, I think that would have been a fine decision despite this 49% win rate. And again, think think about like the legacy breach ban, right? Where they're just like, well, we're going to have to ban it eventually. So might as well just do it now. Obviously it's like, you know, different format. Like a lot of the circumstances are different, but it's the same type of thing. And like, we've kind of known this since day one. Yeah, I I think that's totally reasonable and it would have been fine. Like I've said in the past, it does do a number on the existence of any control strategies. And we have seen blue, white control, Sort of, well, no, I can explain it. We've seen Blue-Eye Control pick up some more metagame share recently. That's because the metagame has constricted really, really hard. Like, it's pretty clear what you need to build your Blue-Eye Control deck to answer. And that's a great position for Control to be in. Uh, And I think if you take away Dig Through Time, they just don't have the tools they need anymore to be able to do that type of stuff. So I understand that explanation for keeping in the format. But back to data, this usage of data really only works if they are choking data from elsewhere because this is them using it to push a narrative of the format. And that sounds more sinister than it actually is. That sounds like they're being very manipulative. They're they're actually sharing legitimate data here for a purpose, but they get to choose which pieces of data to share. We have the Demir inverter win rate and we know that Lotus breach decks are even worse. And we know nothing about the Heliod decks, which are mentioned in the article, but no win rates there. And no mention of things like Sultai, Mono Green, Devotion, which has picked back up. All that stuff we just don't get any information about. So it's kind of interesting in its absence. It certainly turns your eyes in that direction, being like, oh, okay, well, if these are top decks and they're losing all the time, then there are some top decks that are winning all the time. Pretty clearly should look in this direction for what we want to be playing. But we don't have the hard information that sends us down that rabbit hole. Uh, I kind of read it as like, it is very clear that they need to defend not banning something from Breach or Inverter. Therefore, they share data for that and data that supported their decision to not ban stuff. And then the rest of the decks, I would just assume that everyone kind of thinks that those numbers are in line and therefore they don't need to confirm that. Okay. Is your argument that this data is justifying a separate reason that they're not putting forth for not banning any cards? Or do you believe this is the actual reason they chose not to ban anything? I think that's the reason. I th- I mean, it's so it's also very telling that like for all these formats, like Brawl, Historic, Modern, Legacy, they all get their own little write-up. Pioneer gets no bans and the write-up is like double the size of any other individual format. They right. knew that people were going to be like, yo, what the hell? Why no Pioneer bans? Right. And... This is like they knew that they weren't going to ban anything. People were going to say why. And then they chose to justify why they didn't ban anything from Inverter and Breach. And people probably would not necessarily think that anything else should be ban worthy. So it's, it's clear that Pioneer was like a huge consideration, right? Right. Yeah, I think we all assumed this was why we were here. I, I expected to look at Pioneer discussion when I opened this BNR list, not what I actually got. Well, there is pioneer discussion. It's just <laughs> not what you thought it was right. going to be. Right. But yeah, I, I would imagine that it's just the data. 
right? I mean, you can look at play patterns and things like the Underworld Breach thing in Legacy where it's like, well, you know, Dig will have to go at some point. Should we do that now? Is it a bad time? Like, this was the Monday before Baltimore, which is, it's not like a huge event, but it's certainly like on their radar as far as like being a noteworthy event. And anytime you're just like, okay, you know, shake up the format, you have four days to prepare or whatever. It's like, that's not enough time. Yeah, definitely a tough position for players to be in. But there's also just a lot of pioneer tournaments happening. So when, when is a good time? I don't know. Uh, I would just assume that if they decide that they're going to take action, they'll just take it as soon as possible, you know? Yeah, I, I think what we've learned about bands over the past few months is that there are no good times. There's no good way to do this. And I would rather the focus be on printing fewer cards that have to be banned, I guess. Like I was pretty comfortable with that approach to magic design that we used for a bunch of really good years. And I, I get the excitement that this approach generates. It certainly shakes up every single format. And you have a month when the new sets come out where every single format is just completely turned on its ear. That's really exciting. Like I have loved the first four weeks of release era, basically for all these formats, even when we went back to like Oko Field of the Dead times, like Throne of Eldraine release was really interesting at first and then yeah. it soured pretty quickly. But I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's two approaches you can take. You can make really strong cards and have to do stuff like this quite often, which seems to be the way they're leaning right now. Or you could do a little bit more tempered approach. I would lean towards tempered, but sales data probably tells me I'm an idiot. So Likely. Uh, also, the last paragraph in this Pioneer thing says... Uh, With all this in mind, we're choosing not to make a change in Pioneer at this time. We'll continue to monitor the popularity and win rate of combo decks in Pioneer and are willing to make changes in the future if necessary. The criteria we'll be looking at includes overall and matchup by matchup win rates, success in tournaments, population in the metagame, and community sentiment playing with and against these decks. So, I mean, Ian just lays out their criteria. And... Mm -hmm. The, the data certainly is just like, oh, well, this, this seems fair, right? You can look at success in tournaments like uh, SCG Columbus, I believe it was. No, Indianapolis, where uh, Inverter was half of the top eight. It was three of the top four, two in the finals. Inverter in the top eight only lost two Inverter mirror matches. You know, it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, Pete Ingram, Ben Weinberg, Julian Henry, Collins Mullen are the... Inverter players in top eight, all very, very strong players. I think that has a lot to do with it. So, you know, this this is one of those instances where it's like, well, is data across leagues actually giving you like the full side of the story? You know, like it's not necessarily giving you like the true matchup of anything, but uh, it just looks like it is not winning as much as it would win in the hands of a very strong player. And of course, you know, this was a couple weeks ago and things are going to change. People are going to continue to adapt and try and play decks that have stronger matchups against it, et cetera, et cetera. So like things are getting worse for inverter before they get better. Yeah. And looking at results from magic online, which is all we really have presently for pioneer, it does seem like inverter trending down right now, not seeing the same level of success A lot of that is adaptation. A lot of it is the top tier of players looking to figure out ways to beat the deck and not necessarily just honing in and playing it all the time, at least when it comes to Magic Online events. Maybe when the big ticket events still come around, SCGs, PTs, things like that, they'll still just revert back to Inverter. 
What do you think about having a deck that really shines in the hand of the most experienced players? Do you think that's a good thing for Magic overall? Not if the win rate is drastically different, right? Like, I don't want Ian to be like, well, based on the data, it has a 49% win rate. And then, like, you pick up the deck and you win, like, 35% of the time and you continually lose to Pete Ingram, who you know, wins 70% of his matches or whatever. Like that's just got to be really frustrating, right? And you play against the deck and you're just like, God, I got, I got comboed again. You know, this, this stays. never win. Right. Yeah. And it like, it also matters the, like how you actually feel playing against the deck. And, you know, they said that that's one of the criteria that they're looking at. And I think that, Overall, the community has been like pretty negative about Inverter and Lotus Breach, or at least like more recent iterations of it. Uh, when it first came out, it's like, oh, this is like a, a cool combo. Like, yeah, we all wanted Splinter Twin back, and this is sort of Splinter Twin esque, right? And then it's like you play against it, and you're just like, yeah, this is just really frustrating. Yeah, it's a tough decision. I, I would be interested to see, which I'm assuming they could probably access data about win rates across. Elo, because you do still have Elo tied to your Magic Online account. And they can probably take a peek at that. Obviously, we're not going to get to see that data unless they choose to release it. You know, maybe a future decision will contemplate that aspect of things. Uh, But it would be really interesting to look at. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's interesting to look at in theory to us now because we're making these hypotheses and we could just be wrong, you know? Sure. Always a possibility. But yeah, it's it, it is interesting to me. I think that was the biggest WTF moment from this BNR thing was like you read these paragraphs, you read them again, you're just like, is this right? Like, I mean, I guess this this is reality. This is how how we're living right now. So we have to figure out how to adapt to this. But like, is this the right decision? And it seems like I I can't really say like, oh, you should just trust that they're doing the right thing or whatever. But it, it is also just one of those things where it's like people are going to be contrarian no matter what. So I don't know. My inclination is like this This doesn't feel right to me. This doesn't feel like the right decision. But like clearly they had their metrics and none of the cards uh, really broke those metrics. Whereas I have like a couple different theories as far as like, you know, win rate and it not being fun to play against, et cetera, et cetera. But I could be wrong about that. So it's like, yeah, I guess we just wait and see. That's all we can really do. Well, that's one of the benefits of having really nebulous metrics is you can kind of paint like all those metrics you talked about, Ian Listing. I think they're all valid, but you can dispute basically every single one of these by manipulating the data in certain ways. And again, manipulating sounds dirty. That's not really what I mean. I just mean you can look at these situations very, very differently depending on how you engage with magic who you're talking to. There's all kinds of ways to look at these. What do we have? Five different metrics we're using to see if we ban something or not. Yeah. Easy. Even like community sentiment playing with and against these decks. It's like, how do you measure that? Where is the line? I'm sure like Ian Duke's line is way different than Andrew Brown's line and so on and so forth. You know, like it, it is a very nebulous thing, but. Yeah, I I talked a few, it was probably like two or three weeks back, I said something on Twitter where like, while ultimately it failed really, really hard and just has been discarded from the format, I think one of the best things 
that shaped modern in its early days was the declaration that it was a turn four format. Because at least it was clear what you were trying to do with banned decisions. Like we were trying to push things in that direction. And like I said, it completely broke down. It is not relevant to modern at this point. But when we were starting out, it gave a way to frame these discussions when your metrics are so nebulous like this, just someone's going to be unhappy all the time. There's no way to win. Yeah, it's definitely true. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how quickly they they did away with that. And you know, granted, a, a lot of cards would have to go if, if they were still sticking by that. But I don't know, maybe that makes modern a better format overall too. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. Like obviously it was a purposeful decision to get away from that way of thinking about things. And I get why it's really hard you squeeze a lot of design space. You have to ban a lot more, but like in an era where we're just banning stuff all the time anyway, maybe that's even less of a concern. I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying modern right now, quite frankly. My engagement with the format ebbs and flows, so I wouldn't do any huge shakeups now, but I, I know there's always people who feel differently, and I've certainly been one of them in the past. So I've kind of been liking it too. I think it still has a lot of the same sort of issues, you know, like the two ships passing in the night thing, but there are enough recent good solid prints and like diversity of archetype just in general, where it's like, I feel like I have the tools to compete. You know, like if I want to play mid range, like I'm not pigeonholed into playing Jund or whatever, like I could do uh, something like Rakdos. Right. And then it's like, you get to do unearth fulminator mage against Tron. And that gives you access to like a main deck Avenue of actually disrupting these big mana decks. And that's, not something that you had access to before. And there's just a lot of weird stuff like that where it's like, oh, like, you know, big man is a problem. I guess I'm playing four on earths and just slightly altering my deck. And I have this cool way to actually attack the strategy that's not heinous against everyone else. And that's that's really alleviated a lot of the, the feel bad stuff for me where, you know, kind of like the, I don't even remember what exactly we were talking about uh, Lotus, I guess, where you don't have like meddling mage or Thalia and stuff like that, where you can actually like disrupt the combo decks in game one. You're just relying on sideboard cards. That feels like old extended dredge to me. It was like you play game one, you lose, and then you side lose. in ley lines and Tormod's crypts and hope, hope that it's good enough, right? Yeah. And now for modern, basically, no matter what matchup you have, you can start main deck interaction and not feel bad about it. Yeah, there's been a lot of good prints. You know, Force of Negation certainly comes to mind as a way to yeah, check the format. I've, that, I've that's been playing a, a bunch of blue-white lately. Yeah, and it's meaningful for sure. I, I think the problem is the discrepancy between Tier 1 and Tier 2 type stuff, like you're describing Tier 2.5. It, it's still too large. And maybe this Once Upon a Time ban is a good step towards working against that because the biggest offenders of just sheer power gap are things like Amulet, where you're just like, oh my God, this deck is doing fundamentally very broken things consistently but you see a card like once upon a time and what else was ever going to happen this is a print that will forever baffle me i will never understand the creation of this magic card as long as i live and <laughs> if i recall co correctly when i saw this card that was my reaction it was just like a sheer what are we doing here this makes no sense good to see that has been meted out and i'm not trying to declare myself a prophet because i think a large portion of the magic community was just like why oh, yeah. would we do this yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw it and it was like, damn, this is good. But like, I I don't think I ever got to the point where I'm just like, you know, this basically because I could not envision what decks would look like that have this as a four of that 
would then kind of be busted as a result. But I really need to get off that because the card will eventually find something to do with it. You know, obviously like putting it in Valakit or whatever, it's like, okay, that's fine. But like Valakit's still kind of a fair deck. And then it's like, you get Dryad to go with Valakit. Amulet shifts a little bit and it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is kind of out of control, you know? So it, it, it doesn't take much to move the needle that far and say this this found like an instant or a land and was a blue card or whatever. Like obviously you'd just be like, yeah, that's ban worthy, you know? Right. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to misquote it to some extent because I don't have it in front of me, but I, I thought Patrick Sullivan did a good job explaining like the flaws of this card. And it was something to the effect of like in low power formats, it lets you do your most powerful things the most consistently in the early game, like basically Llanowar Elf starts or Arboreal Grazer into Oko starts. And then in high power formats, it's all about just assembling these two card combos like Amulet plus land, Primeval Titan or anything. And it scales really well as far as that goes as well. So just every single possible format, it's doing completely absurd things. And let's just say nothing of just like way more keepable hands, London Mulligan influencing that as well. So definitely not a magic card that should ever have existed under any circumstances. Agreed. And now it's gone and things can hopefully even out a little bit. And you said you've been playing Azorius in modern. What flavor? Please tell me Stoneblade. Stoneblade. I, I just played your deck from your article last week. Gas. I think, I think it's quite good. Yeah. I've been very impressed by it. When I lose, it's by inches. I often feel like I do something wrong and my win rate has been positive. So it's nice to feel like that is a very viable option. And most of that play was prior to the once upon a time ban. So right. only gotten better in theory. Yeah. I know Austin Yost picked up the deck at my recommendation. And he said that he felt like he was a little too much behind on the draw. Did you feel that as well or no? Maybe in game one's on the draw, that's particularly pronounced, but I think you have pretty good catch-up mechanisms when it comes to game two and like some pretty impactful sideboard options. Uh, So that wasn't a sentiment I had that was really strong. I I am sure, I mean, it's very clear that when you have a Stoneforge deck and you could just go turn two Stoneforge Mystic and you're on the play, that play is much, much better. So there's definitely a power discrepancy there, but it didn't feel like problematic to me. Well, time to get some gemstone caverns in the deck. Solves all of life's problems. You think you can solve every problem with the gemstone cavern? What, what do you think about the decks that are playing, I mean, basically similar setups, but using Uro instead of Stoneforge Mystic? To me, it I, feels like they I are stretching it. for not much benefit. Yeah, well, my my issue is that I think the Spellqueller Teferi or even Vendillion Click Brazen Borrower setups are much stronger because you're then a tempo deck and the Bant ones are playing like Uro and Ice Fang Quaddle and not a lot of good ways to take full control over the game. And also just like not a lot of ways to tempo out like big mana or burn decks or combo decks or whatever. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like Stoneforge Mystic is a tempo card. Yeah. It does a great job of doing like the old school fairy squeeze where whatever your opponent does on a given turn you will punish them for it it could be nothing they could play their best spell they could play their worst spell and you have some exploit available to yourself all the time and meanwhile they're just falling further and further behind and you get the end game of cryptic command plus mystic sanctuary so i i really like the way the deck is set up right now i've played against jund a bunch which is like the dream like am i really getting to do this 
in modern right now, getting to play fair <laughs> games of magic against a reasonable deck. And I will only give Jund reasonable. I will not give it good. It is reasonable, though. I will say that. Uh, yeah. And I've enjoyed playing against it a bunch. Yeah, like people have been having success with Jund. I don't think it's particularly good, but it is a deck. It can exist. Uh, the Urza decks outside of, you know, the more artifact-based decks that include Underworld Breach, like Demir Urza or the Simic ones or whatever, like those decks are fair now. They're they're just pretty mid-rangey. There are a lot of fair Uro decks and all of those matchups are just very fun. So that's the part of Modern that I've actually been enjoying. And then, yeah, you know, there's there's things like Tron and Amulet and Dredge still, but you have ways to actually go about fighting them. So Yeah, you, I think you have good games against, I mean, I'm not saying you're favored, but like you have your four field of ruin, you have your rest in peace, you have very reasonable plans against all those decks. And often the way you execute those plans will determine your results. It's not just, oh, did I find my hate card? It's when did I deploy my hate card? Did I make the correct decision with my field of ruin? Sometimes it's just like, your hand is forced or you just get blown out on the draw. These things all happen. But for the most part, I've been playing good games of magic with the deck and I've appreciated it. Yeah, I've, I've liked it a lot. So I'm writing about modern this week, especially now that Baltimore was canceled. Uh, Baltimore, I would have just written about inverter and like, I don't know how you should play Bloodfast to beat the mirror, I guess. But I, I just don't see a reason to play anything other than inverter. So it wasn't going to make for a good article. So I was just going to write about modern anyway. What and about your Soul Tide list that you've been working on? That seems like another deck that would benefit from a scrunched field now that you can plan for what things are doing. And as the deck's popularity falls off, you get to do your no traverse plan and not worry about just getting Emrakuld in the mirror. Yeah, the, the problem is like the decks that have popped up, like the 12 Planeswalker Mono Green Devotion, like that is just not a good matchup. Right. You don't think you have the tools to solve that with just like spot removal for Planeswalkers? You fall too far behind in those scenarios? Yeah, well, it's also like they they play this big threat and they get value and then you kill it. You know, it's a, it's just never a good place to be. But yep. when you could fight like Mono Red and Spirits with Ishkana and you had good game against Azorius Control, like the deck was much better. And now the fringy decks, I think, are pretty good against you. And I actually hadn't played against the Heliod deck, but like those seem kind of tough too because you don't have great tools against them either. So it's possible you could retool the deck and actually come out with uh, something that is good against a pretty wide swath of things. I just haven't worked on it yet. I just knew that if I was going to play a tournament, I would just play Inverter. Sure. Easy choice. I can't fault you for it at all. Yeah. But Modern and Once Upon a Time being gone means that Amulet becomes more in line with the rest of the field. And maybe, you know, that makes that makes Tron a lot more appealing, I guess. Uh, which is not great for these mid-range decks, but I just wanted to take a few mid-range shells, write about them, just like the fair Valakit decks, like Uro, Cryptic Command, Valakit, Dryad, uh, no Primeval Titan or Mountains or anything. And then uh, Rakdos mid-range I played with. It was really bad. I fixed it. I think it's decent. And then maybe look at some of these either Uro decks or like the end of the story decks that are kind of making a little bit of a comeback too. Oh, I would like to see those definitely come back. They were an exciting part of the format for like two seconds, and then they were just blown out by very powerful things. Yep, but uh, we, we might be back. We might be there again. I hadn't even thought of that. Definitely something I would like to explore. Yeah, uh, it looks like the the Inverter Angel's Grace deck didn't really turn out to be a real thing. It's a shame. You know I have an affinity for Angel's Grace, but I understand why it never quite composed itself. 
Well, especially if, if Jund and like all these Thoughtseize decks are doing well, I could see why it would struggle. And the, the counter spells are actually like quite good now too. Mystic Sanctuary certainly helped a lot. I previously did not really like Cryptic Command in Stoneblade. And now that you have that angle, I think it's just super huge. Yeah, very easy pickup for these decks. And if you've played with the combo at all, you know it just changes the way you can play your late games in a lot of spots. I will say one issue I found playing the blue-white deck is I was forced into burning my Mystic Sanctuaries earlier than I wanted to in a lot of scenarios just because like I needed a rebuy on a removal spell or like I needed a meaningful spell and I would have to cash in for something like a Serum Visions, which often felt really bad. So maybe the trick is like a little bit more velocity somewhere in the deck. I'm not sure how you quite get there. Well, I I did play two additional cantrips in Serum Visions and I thought that that would help, but I certainly looked at, you know, like, maxing on that or playing Mishra's Bobble, just like weird things that you could do, uh, especially in situations where you like cryptic to do something and bounce your sanctuary. And then you want to redraw the cryptic after you play the, the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So that, that would make sense to me. I'd be down with that. Yeah. uh, Well, my point is that there's like a lot to do with the deck for sure. Like we can continue to work on it, continue to iterate on it. And it feels like something that is now, plausible for the modern format again i don't want to go as far as like tier one because the tier one of modern is so strong and i think amulet is still there like the addition of dryad is just not something that is going to be overcome by the banning of once upon a time the deck has still gotten a tremendous upgrade in the form of having eight azuzas basically your key card and one that also turns on a new combo kills so I, I don't anticipate amulet going anywhere i think it's a pretty easy swap back to ancient stirrings and the deck will still be completely fine yeah, I don't know if it's stirrings or serum or, or what actually happens to the deck, but it is very much just, okay, you can't play once upon a time. You have to play four slightly worse cards. Oh, no. You know, yes. like it, the deck is still very good. Serum Visions is interesting. We were handicapped by the mana base for so long and you couldn't really realistically play that card, but things have certainly changed with regards to how you set up that aspect of your deck. So maybe we could look at Serum Visions again. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, like you can play... Uh, gemstone botanical sanctum breeding pool and all that jazz so it should be right. fine yeah you even you wouldn't have fetch lands at this point usually so not yeah. too hard to squeeze in some serum visions yep well maybe you can work on that give us an updated list i don't know where you are as far as like you know enjoying playing amulet these days or what uh it depends i mean i'm always down for an amulet amulet league or two but at this point, I just do a lot of defaulting to the people who live and breathe Amulet. They have proven themselves right often enough that I trust them, and I don't feel the need to really go out on my own at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wait for Dilks and Edgar to tell me what to play, and then I generally play it. And it's weird, and it sounds a little lazy, but like there's only so much time in the day, and you can't play every single Magic deck. And I know I can always default to that deck if I have an event, and they will have a tight list for me. So it's nice to have in my back pocket. I want to default to Dom, Dom Harvey. Sure. I think that's another completely reasonable choice. Certainly He's, the more experimental amulet pilot. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if I, so when Dryad came out, he was the one that I think drew up this version that just became the standard, you know? And it was, it was very much just like his first draft. It doesn't surprise me. Dom has been innovating on this archetype for a long time. Has picked up a bunch of the key pieces of technology. Like when Coalition Relic was good, I certainly give him credit with finding that. Uh, his initial build with like the Through the Breach stuff, never really quite sold on that. But 
unquestionably has pushed forward the archetype quite a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think the through the breach thing was him being like, oh, like this is the nuts or whatever. It was just a faster way to use the deck and it was good for X, Y, and Z. And then he like didn't do it anymore, but he was just like, oh yeah, Wayward Swordtooth and this thing are good in these certain metagames. And he just ran with it, you know, like that's another thing. Right. Like he has the ideas and he doesn't have the fear, you know, like he he's actually just like, no, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, you know? Yep, absolutely. Which is, uh, you know, double-edged sword, but it is what it is. Yeah, you have to be willing to take those lumps sometimes. And we, we've we seen Dom take a few lumps, but nothing but respect for taking the shots. And uh, I, I think if anything, as time goes on, he has tightened his range quite a bit. And if he's bringing a deck to a tournament at this point, I'm usually pretty comfortable with it. I haven't seen any real missteps in quite some time from him. Yeah, I agree. So if I had a modern event, I would play mid-range. But I think realistically, you should be playing big mana, either actual Tron or Amulet. Same. I I would say I would play blue-white control, blue-white Stoneblade. Uh, I would tell anyone who wanted to know what gives them the best chance to win uh, and was an experienced Amulet player to play Amulet. Although I will say the deck has gotten so much easier these days. It does not have the same kind of fail rates. And if you don't solve your puzzles now, you just win on the next turn. And it's not like you lose the game on the spot like you used to in the past. So uh, people should be less intimidated of the deck these days. And I I think they are. You certainly see many, many more people picking up Amulet at this point. Yeah, part of it, it, I think, is the, the fact that it continued to do well. You know, at first it's like, oh, maybe this is just a galaxy brain deck that only Edgar can win with or whatever. And then more people pick it up. They do well. And then other people are just like, oh, well, yeah, I'll try and learn it, you know. And then people realize that it's actually fun. But now I think, yeah, people pick it up and they're just like, this isn't that hard. You know, I can I can play this deck pretty well. Like they start getting results with it. And I think, yeah, that's that's great. I I would much rather have the deck be in that sort of space than you just have to be a, a pure genius to be able to pilot it correctly. Totally agree. Yeah. Back, back in the day when it was like Bobby Fortinelli and no one else could win with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly, I remember my early days with the deck and just feeling like an absolute fool on every single turn. Now it's like, Oh, I killed you on turn three again. I probably messed up 12 times on the way, but we still got there. Yep. All right. Standard. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit of standard. Blue-white control is mostly dead. Dead. Completely dead. How, how is that possible? Is the best deck for so long? So Team Adventures is the easy answer. Sure. And now you're seeing a lot of decks pop up. Like we posited that Teamer was good in the previous format, but did not see widespread success because of Rakdos Knights. And there are a lot of Rakdos decks that have popped up as a response to Teamer. But Azorius Control is still just like no one is playing it. And I think it's it's actually good again. And I think that you can also probably do at least something to help the Team Adventures matchup, right? Like not as many Dovin's Vetoes and stuff like that. Like there's not even a lot of decks that you want Dovin's Veto against anymore. I don't I feel a little exploited by the Bant decks as well. They just have way more threat density and they're winning on mana advantage, which is like a very pronounced way to win quote unquote control mirrors. And granted, they're not really doing as much control stuff in game one, but when it comes to game two, they have very, very effective setups against you. 
Yeah, and they have stuff like Krasis, right? It's like you're you're playing right. effectively the same deck of the same cards that matter, except they have Gross Spiral and Krasis, and you know, yeah, man advantage. They bury you with card advantage from Krasis. They get to just fearlessly play this tap out game because they don't have any counter magic. They just don't care. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree that that deck is an issue as well. But I, you gotta imagine that there are, you know. Things that you can do to help those matchups and still pick off just like the Jeskai Fires and the Rakdos decks in the metagame. Yeah, it's weird. On a week-to-week basis, there is little incentive to innovate in standard. Like this used to be the format that everyone was focused on all the time. And you would see it take steps forward over and over. And now it happens on the ladder, but the ladder is a little tainted in some ways. And there's also like these huge arena events that are just incredibly, incredibly high stakes. And a bunch of people are back to keeping technology in their pocket again. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me with the arena MCQ weekend coming up. If there is something out there that is designed to prey on exactly what we've been seeing thus far. If I was looking to target, I would look to target Bant very hard. I think Teamer Adventures is on a downswing, but still a very reasonable choice. And I expect more resurgence in mono red over time. Certainly just one GP Leon. And those would be my top tier decks right now that I would be looking to answer. Yeah, so uh, Kavartek did well in the Mythic Point Challenge with Racto Sacrifice. And that's kind of why people picked up that deck, I believe. And it did pretty well in Leon. Teamer Adventures was the most popular deck in day two, but didn't have a great conversion rate. Not only into the top eight, but like you know the top 24 or something was like the thing that they noted. And there was a lot of Rakdos. That deck is there. It is very real. I think it is very good against Teamer. I have a few people who are like, asking me if it's okay to play Jeskai Fires because I frequently poo-poo on that deck. But uh, I think that that's actually kind of a reasonable choice now too. Yeah, I mean, if the control decks are playing no counter magic, it's very easy to just jam your huge, huge threats and outscale what they are doing. Yeah, and, you know, Zero Mana Cavalier of Flame is very, very good against those decks, so. Right. But I don't know, you say like, people aren't really innovating. I mean, I, I think the format is churning still a decent amount and, you know, people, people like Kavartek are helping move that forward and uh, even little beep, right? Like he, he fundamentally altered just the format period. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I didn't phrase that properly. I, I guess what I'm saying is that these things are happening, but maybe in not as pronounced a way as they were in the past. Like you used to be able to go, Oh, Brad Nelson won the standard GP this week and over in yeah. the SCG standard tournament, this happened. We don't have those hardline tournament results to point to anymore to show these shifts, but you're right. They are happening in the format. Yeah. And a lot of the standard is just getting played in PTQs and there's not a whole lot of actual reporting on that stuff in this mythic point right. challenge. They just posted like the MPL players deck list. It's like, what, what, what about everyone else? You know, how many, how many people went 10 0 or got 10 wins. I want to know that stat. Nobody knows, Gerald. We do not get that information. Uh, And that's more what I'm pointing at. Just like, how do we know? How do we solidify that these things are happening? How do you know what is just anecdotal evidence and what is actually a trend that's become harder and harder to separate at this point? Well, you spend about 150 hours, get to rank one mythic, and then you play another 100 matches, keep track of what your opponents were playing and then that's the winner's metagame 
okay, you do that, report back to me, and then we will talk all about it next week. You heard it first here. Gerald has promised to play his way to number one mythic and put in that 150 hours for all of you. I don't think there's enough time for me to do that between this week and next week. I'm, I'm not a mathologist, but. Uh, yeah, it does feel like some of the people who live on ladder have put more hours into the day somehow. I am so impressed with how much they are able to devote themselves to just grinding those games out. That is not how I engage with magic. I, I just can't do that. Um, but I appreciate you all doing the work to put together a metagame for us. I played a couple matches because uh, I thought I was going to play in the Mythic Point Challenge and then I just chose not to. Are you qualified for the qualifier weekend coming up? No, I'm not. Okay. So I had no I had bad for Gerald this weekend. I had bad experiences in those qualifiers. That's that's my excuse. The first one, I like didn't realize the time window was so small. I was like, oh yeah, like I have all day to play this thing, no big deal. And then it was just like, oh, it's two o'clock, and I was like, wait, I should probably read the rules on this thing. And then it was like, oh, I have I literally have to play like. 20 minute matches if I want to finish all my matches or whatever. And it's like, Oh, that is crappy. Uh, and then the next one I played was when I was traveling and I just had the heinous internet connection, uh, trying to play something. God, what was I trying to, I know that I got clowned by teamer adventures like before it was cool. And I wasn't playing like team or wreck or anything, but I was playing like some slower junk sacrifice. Was, maybe that would make yeah, sense. In terms yeah. Of- Ooh, no, I was playing Abzan Sacrifice. Oh, okay. And that was awful. I just... Yeah, a lot of clicks there. I, I had like 10 minutes left to their 22 or something. I'm just like, yeah, I'm dead. I just can't even finish this tournament. Well, I know that situation very well, something I've experienced many times. So I can empathize with you there. For me, I've just been casting every single weekend there's ever been one. So I stopped even trying to qualify. And now I have this weekend free. And apparently... Also next weekend free and maybe the weekends after that. Maybe it's time to start playing some magic online preliminaries so I can get yeah. some PTQs. In. Oh I no. Still hate that system, but I was like, oh yeah, let's check magic online for the PTQs. And then you brought up the fact that prelims exist. You cannot play them. It's been so tilting. And oh. I have accepted this policy. I sort of kind of get it. And if they want to make Magic Online PTQ something that are just not for me. That is their prerogative. They can do that. I am not entitled to have the right to play in their organized play system. But I don't understand why they don't want me. Like, why don't you take my money? Why do you hate me so much, Wizards? Just let me play your stupid tournaments. All right, Watsy, tell you what. I will mail you four Once Upon a Times and two Okos. Oh, that's a nice redemption program. Get me into this PTQ. Let's do it. How many PTQ entries do I get for four foil full art once upon a time and four foil full art Ogos? I think I think got to be a lot of PTQ entries. I think like one entry per is is pretty reasonable. I would take that. You got my number, Wizards. Get in touch with me. We'll work that out. I don't think they have your number and you're definitely not listed. So (laughs) if they did, they've thrown it out from the Rolodex. Forget no, they, they just they just scroll by it and laugh every time. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, good times. I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with like all of these formats. Honestly, like it's not yeah, it's fine. It's not the best thing ever. But like I said, I've actually been like really enjoying modern and certainly just like building decks for it too has been pretty fun. Pioneer is okay probably my least favorite of the three. And then standard is like in the middle. There's a decent variety of decks. I think they have maybe 
too polarizing of matchups and not really enough tools to like be able to impactfully sway how each matchup goes, you know, like still small format for what it's worth. Yeah. And maybe that'll change. Who knows? But like the, the actual games in, in the, the matchups that are close or like pretty skill-based are really fun. And I haven't tried those. Yeah, I'm with you. And also we're like a a couple months in at this point, I think. I don't know. Time is weird when it comes to magic, but it feels like we're a couple months in and we're getting close to our next preview season already. So I I think for being that far along, still seeing this degree of churn, I'm totally fine with standard. It's not my favorite format, but I think it's acceptable. I think there's enough interesting stuff going on. Modern feels above average for modern right now and Pioneer's okay. So I, I think it's a Good solid place for magic, especially considering all the like disruption and upheaval of the past few months. It does feel like things are settling down. But of course, another set just on the horizon. And now my anticipation is every set just throws every single format in the dumpster and makes you start over from square one. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Which which modern deck is going to be the next busted after Ikoria? I don't know. Something gets picked up every single time. Like what is just floating below in tier two that is just waiting to break out? Maybe some kind of through the breach deck because there's a powerful giant creature in this set. Yeah, it's called was... Layer of Beasts or something like that, right? Oh, I don't know. I was thinking, uh, yeah, some sort of like gristle brand, big creature or something or other, you know, like maybe dubious challenge is busted. Who knows? Sure. Also, I've been playing against Neo Brand a lot on in leagues and like Again, I think that deck is fine. I'm mostly winning because I'm playing blue-white and like good matchup. You're pretty excited to see that on the other side. But when you lose, it's just like, what is this deck here for? Why Why do we continue to let this happen? What is being added to modern by having a deck that can legitimately kill you on turn one often? Like, it's not that rare. I don't know what the rate is, but it's got to be above 20%, like maybe 30%, maybe 35%. I don't know. I don't know why we continue to subject ourselves to this. Play more force and negation. And I am, and I'm beating it right now, but even beating it, I'm just like, I don't understand what this adds. Yeah, no, I know. I, I'm right there with you. No, that's, that's another instance where it's like, well, pack negation's kind of dumb. Gristlebrand's kind of dumb. Like these cards might have to get banned eventually. What are we waiting for? You know, just, just do it now. Yeah. All right, I logged on to Magic Online. I'm going to see if there's a, a prelim I can play maybe tomorrow. Yeah, give me the schedule. Maybe I can free myself up for a prelim as well. Well, we're, we're loading. Have you? Or you'll have to play the challenges on the weekend. That's th- that's where the big points lie, I believe. You're supposed to like triple Q uh, them or something stupid. What? Yeah. That doesn't sound fun. Look, this isn't about fun. This is serious business. All right, a modern prelim begins in 19 hours. Okay. That sounds promising. And then, yeah, modern players tour qualifier in three days. There we go. One of us is winning it with Azorius. No, I'll probably play stupid Valakit Cryptic Command deck. Okay. I'll win it with Azorius. Yeah. Azorius is tight, though. Is it question time? Absolutely. What do we have this week? Well, Brian, every week we solicit the fine folks. Wait, I'm interrupting you again. Sorry. What? They they just canceled all the GPs. What? Yeah. In Detroit, Sao Paulo, Louisville, Palm Beach, all canceled. 
Yeah, it's a done deal. I mean, again, good on Channel Fireball. This feels like the correct move. This is going to leave Magic in a weird state at a time when Paper Magic is already like messed up. And I am convinced it's the right thing to do, but it is a weird time both in the world and Magic. That is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel bad for those who are affected negatively, for sure. Overall, this is the right thing. Agreed. We will continue to practice empathy and try and understand all oppositions. Shout outs to the folks at Channel Fireball for doing the right thing. Uh, and shout outs to all the folks who are financially impacted by this. We are thinking of you. Tough time to be in the magic creation game. I don't know where things are going to stand, but hopefully we will all pull through this and everyone will make it through safe and healthy and we can get back together and play magic on the other side. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I saw Daniel Fournier tweeted that they should do some uh, like sweet Magic Online events this weekend for all the people who you know have to stay home or whatever. I, th- I think that'd be cool, right? It would be cool. Yeah, see what you can do with the platform and make the best of it. I I think there will be more uh, quarantines and more people isolated and maybe some people surrounded by vulnerable folks who just can't afford to go out. Their risk is too high. Uh, and I think setting things up for them would be a really nice gesture for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, now question time, maybe. Now question time. <laughs> Dude, I love I love the cast where we get to do breaking news on air. You know? <laughs> right, it's always exciting. Oh, man. What it, it just it makes me think we should be doing these live. Anyway, uh, every week we solicit the fine folks in our Discord for their burning questions. Uh, Brian noted that since we took off last week, sorry about that, y'all. My bad. That... You know, people should have great questions. Uh, you specifically said that you hoped that it made all of their hearts grow fonder due to the absence. absence makes the heart grow fonder. I, I, I know. I know. I mean, well, that's that is a saying, right? But like, is it actually <laughs> is true? It true? Who knows? I have no idea. Anyway, uh, we we select a question to answer. We answer it. That person gets an arena deck list enamel pin. Mail to them. The only place that you can currently get them is by getting your questions selected. So check us out on patreon.com slash arena decklist. All that fun stuff. Get uh, cool rewards. Get in our Discord. Our Discord is dope. They're, like, they're breaking news to us about <laughs> events being canceled and everything. Yeah, thanks, Discord. Yeah. And the question that we selected this week comes from Nathnor, and they ask, what anime are you currently watching? I have a feeling your roster is deeper than mine. So so hit really? me up with what you're enjoying presently. Yeah, you know, my relationship with anime is weird. I love the genre, but there are very few that I go deep in. Like I mostly just flirt with the series, go like 10 episodes deep and then bail. Just kind of like a little sampling of everything. And I know that's a really weird way to engage with it, but that so, is generally how my watching habits go. I don't think it's that weird. Uh, and I... I used to like basically never have like an unfinished book or an unfinished TV show or anything like that. And for anime specifically, I would just wait until there was something that was just like, you absolutely have to watch this. I would watch it and be like, yep, those people were right. That was excellent. Uh, And now I don't know, just things like Crunchyroll, right? Where you get to see all of these shows coming out of Japan, just like on a weekly basis, getting translated and everything. And you, you just have access to so many more things. And the, obviously people love all of these 
different genres and things. So it's really difficult to pull out what is actually just spectacular or is something that I would really, really enjoy. So I'm, I'm kind of doing the same thing as you now, man. I'm just like sampling a bunch okay. of stuff. Like, does this stick? Does it not stick? Like there's a, a decent amount of series that I have started and not finished. And okay. So what's got your attention right now? <laughs> I just saw the, uh, my hero academia movie in the okay. theaters and I've seen total like three and a half episodes, but not like three and a half like specific episodes. Just like if you've total up the the two minute snippets I've watched over Josh Cho's shoulder when he's been watching it on his phone when we've been hanging out. The, the, the amount of time would probably total like three and a half episodes. Okay. Uh, so I knew very little about it. I knew like a lot of the characters and like kind of what the story is and all that sort of stuff because he and I have had discussions about it. And I don't know, the movie was solid. It had some like kind of crappy Deus Ex stuff at the end, but was like enjoyable up until then. And I think it it did like sort of this cool thing where so like it, it's it's about like a superhero school, right? Like you've obviously watched a bunch of this show. Like, are you like fully caught up on the anime or, or what, where are you right now? I've seen like the first 13 episodes and okay. I, I, it's one that actually I weave in and out of, like, it's not one that I just did 13 episodes and gave up on. I keep coming back to it. Cause I do really like it. Like, I think it's mostly very good, but I just never like hard commit and grind through a bunch of it. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that's like solid, but it's not super engaging, right? Like you kind of know what you're going right. to get. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's about a superhero school and it's not like Marvel superheroes or anything. It's, it's very weird where it just like it opens with them, their class doing superhero work on like an, a very isolated island. And it's just them like doing chores for people. It's like, you know, this like person with electric powers, like jumping someone's car or whatever. Useful. So it's like, that that would make sense to me for like an episode, but maybe not for I mean not a, a block not yeah not a blockbuster movie or whatever. But like it is it is still very interesting how how they tackle it, right? It's like yeah these these people just kind of got to do crappy jobs, right? Like that's that's just how they get by. If everyone's a superhero, then I guess that's how you generally shape your world, right? And then there's not really anything super about you, right? You're just the jumper cable, yeah. That, that's it. Like you, you breathe and you're sentient, but that's about it. Anyway, like the, the movie was pretty enjoyable. It had some, some very good moments and stuff. Like it's not going to make me watch the series or whatever. I know that they're pretty deep into season four and stuff, but I don't know. I'm, I'm fine keeping it kind of at arm's length. I, I started, uh, keep your hands off Isaacin at Joshua Cho's request. And it's another one that is like, I don't know, just sort of weird, I guess, just not, not cookie cutter. And I've kind of enjoyed it for that, but it's also just like not familiar to me. Like there, I don't have anything to like grasp onto with it. It's kind of like slice of lifey, but yeah, just, just strange, man. I don't know. So recommendation, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumb sideways. I don't know. I, okay. so like, so with a lot of the anime that I watched before, like the stuff that was just like, all right, I know this is bomb, right? Like that I can recommend to very specific people with very specific tastes. But this stuff, I'm just like, dude, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to like it or hate it. 
I thought Josh Cho would love anime. So I recommended specific things to him for like literally six years. And he was just like, no, that's stupid. And then just at some point, he got some new friends from stupid League of Legends, right? And they're they're all a bunch of weebs. And they're like, yo, just watch anime, dude. And he did. And he just went so deep. At this point, he's watched more anime than I have. Yeah, he's seen everything. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And he's currently watching everything, like everything as it comes out. So I don't know. It's it's weird where it's like, you know, I thought I would be able to peg certain things to him. And I, I did eventually. But this one, I, I just don't know. Like, that's kind of why it's weird to me. I just have no idea who would actually like this. That's interesting. You know, actually, one of our early interactions, one of the first times we chatted a long time ago was you giving me anime recommendations. And you sold me on one of my all-time favorite animes. I haven't watched it in years, so I don't know if it holds up. But Bacano was one of my oh, dude. all-time favorites. Dude, love it. Love Bacano. Yeah. yeah, that was really good. Did you watch Dururara? No, it's on like one of my watch lists. So at some point, perhaps I will. Yeah, at this point, it's on like everything uh, as far right. as like, you know, Crunchyroll, Netflix, whatever. And it's it's fine. It's not as good as Bacano, but it's made by the same studio, the same people. And it's it's got kind of like that same vibe. But they... I, vibe I think is they, everything when it comes to anime, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. And I think they knew that it was going to be like a seasonal thing, whereas like Bacchino is just like one season, very closed off, like this is the story we want to tell. And I tend to like those a lot more just because it's like open and shut and it's not like a bunch of random filler episodes and stuff like that. Mm. So uh, Durarara is fine, uh, but yeah, Bacchino is just sweet. If you like any of the movies where it's like, all right, here are these seven different groups of individuals and like we tell their stories sort of one by one and then over time you see how their stories begin to like coalesce right that's Bacchino and it's it's really really good agree other than that I started watching Fire Force that was fine but kind of like my hero for you I don't know didn't didn't continue watching it uh just like watched it when I would not bother anyone else, you know, like whenever, when everyone else was sleeping. And also I like ADD plus just, I, you know, wanting to multitask anyway, it's like, it's, it's tough for me to find something. Yeah. Find something I want to do and watch something that's subbed. Like I have to be in a very specific mood or there has to be something specific that I want to watch. So that's just like a, a literal just kill time type of thing. Vinland saga was another one that Cho recommended and was pretty good. And that's just like some Viking stuff. Yeah. Also on my watch list, I think I found it on like Amazon Prime. So at some point, maybe I will yeah. check in with that. Yep, that's on Prime. And that one, that one was solid. I don't know. I it was solid enough that I was like, "Ooh, what's going to happen in season two? And I, you know, read the Wikipedia on the manga that's currently ongoing, and was like, "I don't know if I want to watch season two, but like season one was cool." <laughs> okay. And I'm sure there's just like a lot of other stuff too. I don't know. Main Abyss is the, like the goat for me. So. Yeah, I still haven't finished that one. It, Dude. I don't know. I, I told you, like, I, I enjoyed it. I watched a few episodes, never finished it. it the uh, second half is way better than, the, like, the second half makes it. The first, I the first, you. The first half is I, just the setup, man. You're not supposed to enjoy it. I totally get that. It was great. Art was beautiful. It I is beautiful. The characters. Everything was great. I don't know why I haven't finished it. No excuses. Yeah, if, if people want a wreck for, from me, Made in Abyss, it'll make you feel some stuff. Uh, it is just wonderful and is literally the only anime I have watched where I just immediately found a way to 
get the manga and read it because I wanted to continue the story that badly. That's a huge, huge uh, endorsement for sure. Also, neither here nor there, really, but uh, Tower of God is a webtoon that I am caught up on, and I caught up on that in a very short amount of time, and there are literally hundreds of chapters, and that is being turned into an anime next month, I believe. So I can't that, believe you're caught up. There's so, so many There's so many chapters. Dude. But like it was 460 just, or something. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I think it's like 360 or something, but... It is, it is a lot. It was just the thing that I would do when I was on airplanes or just in transit or whatever. And I, I got through it very quickly. Like I just, it, it's it, very good. It's again, kind of a weird thing, but like, if you like my hero, like Shonen type of stuff, you will definitely like this. I think the anime is probably going to be bomb. And I think it is going to be what everyone is talking about the next couple of months. Uh, yeah, it's great. I'm like 150 chapters in, really enjoying it. I still think it has way more in common with Hunter x Hunter than My Hero, but you no, 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 I made I, up your mind that you hate Hunter x Hunter arbitrarily. So the the art, man, I just I can't stand the art. It is likely more similar, uh, both like story wise and stylistically. I just compare it to My Hero because they're both like shonen esque, and I think that that genre is broad enough that it will just appeal to anyone. Like if you like my hero, you probably like Hunter x Hunter. You probably like Tower of God. Agreed. Right? Yep. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Also, what percentage of our audience do you think has tuned out for like the last 10 minutes? Like 40%, Uh, 50%? That's fine. Not every part of every podcast has to be for everyone. I think that's okay. We're speaking gibberish. You know, if you don't watch anime, this is is all nonsense to you, right? It's like if we went to a Hearthstone tournament and started talking about magic, right? It's just- Correct. It is all nonsense. I understand if you've tuned out, but if you're interested in watching anime or you kind of dabble in anime and like this stuff is kind of interesting, now you're Googling titles, like cool, you know, thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate it. But uh, this is also at kind of at the end of the episode, so you're not losing out. All right. You've, you've gotten the meat and potatoes. My quick hit recommendations, again, there's a ton I'm watching, just things I've enjoyed. I haven't even finished most of these, but I watched a bunch of Carol on Tuesday and really liked it. Yeah. Did you, did you watch the second part? No, I have not. I I haven't even finished the first part, but I I love what I've watched so far. Okay. So, uh, we didn't even know that there was a second part out. And then like someone, someone told me and then I got to watch that. And that was dope. The second part's good. Yeah, it's good. Oh, I think it was Krim that told me actually Asian Avenger. Uh, that is good to hear. Cause I really, really loved the first part. Uh, very musical, Slice of life, science fiction, e very strange premise, but a cool, cool show. Also, also just like really cute and emotional. Like it, it is yep. very good. Yep. Watch some Love Is War, which I thought was interesting and neat and a cool premise. Ace of Diamond, working my way through for some sports anime. That's I tend on my to trend list. More towards that's on I my really list like because it. of I, you. I trend more towards slice of life type stuff than I do really like high stakes dramatic things I, I don't know i just like it to unwind usually while i'm falling asleep it's what i'll watch I can, can confirm after sharing hotel rooms with you for <laughs> right. magic events and commentary gigs like that is exactly what you do often fall asleep while and it'll just play throughout the night i maybe i know japanese at this point just by passively hearing it for so long while i'm sleeping i mean one can hope if you do man let me know that would be <laughs> Uh, a pretty great life hack. Uh, I probably don't, but 
those are my just brief recommendations. If you ever want more, you can feel free to message me and I'm happy to share. Yeah, same. Always, always down to talk about anime. Uh, JRPGs, like especially the classic ones, is like another thing that I'm basically always down to talk about. And uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of anime too. So, yeah, like I said, there's dozens more that I'm somewhere in the middle of and haven't finished, and probably have been enjoying. So, yeah, just uh, unpacked a bunch of stuff. And on the JRPG front, I got to browse through my Tactics Ogre art book, which is dope. And that's just cool one. your favorite what, game of all time, right? Fa- favorite game of all time. And it's just a, a thing that I randomly found in San Francisco and was just like, Oh, okay, did you, yeah. did you find a place for your Christmas present, which I finally delivered to you after two years? Yes. Uh, I haven't hung my pictures yet, but they're going up soon. Okay. Okay. I want it to be successfully watching over you and keeping your new apartment safe. Oh yeah, dude. I, so I'm, I'm in my new office and it, it looks pretty good, honestly. It's like bigger than my old one. I have these shelves that used to be in my bedroom that are now in the office. And those were carrying a lot of tchotchkes, as my my former roommates called them. You know, just mm-hmm. like random figurines and stuff like that. So like those will be on display if I ever turn a webcam on. Yeah, I got I got some space on the wall too for random art and everything. And the thing you gave me is definitely going somewhere prominent. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the best gifts I've received. It's really sweet. I am glad to hear that. You'll have to, uh, once it's present, I want you to share a picture with our listeners because it took two years to deliver. So you know it's got to be a good Christmas present. Yeah. I, I mean, I was definitely going to share a picture with you and then, you know, whatever whatever you did with it is completely A-OK with me. So You got it. Yeah, man. Cool. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about anime and, and video games. I think we're both down for that. That will indeed be game. Good luck.